This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show all about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined again by football journalist and United season ticket holder Rob Bonchette. Hope you're well today, mate. Um, bit of an off day yesterday, was it? Yeah, not too well at the moment, but dragged myself out of bed this morning, obviously, for our show. For some cracking uh, United content, am I of right? Of course, of course. The you know, As I always say, the gift that keeps giving is Manchester United. And uh, even when we're not so well and not feeling too great, there's always loads to talk about. You can definitely, you can definitely subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera, and watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays. Um, So head over to our brand new YouTube channel, hit the like button, subscribe and join the community. The link should be in the description of this episode. It is the Promised Land podcast. You can just type that in your little Google search bar or wherever you get your podcasts and you can find us. Um, just another reminder to you, you can follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders for me at underscore Rob underscore B for Rob and at promise land MU for the show itself. Um, Rob, we're between two games, um, at the moment, you know, actually won in midweek, which we'll, we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about the Brighton review perhaps towards the end of the show. And obviously United play leads. Um, maybe we'll throw them in together. There's an interesting potential rivalry developing between Dan James and Harry Maguire, which we'll talk about at the end. But uh, we'll also get the big hitters in today. Ronaldo, Pogba, uh, rivalry over a captaincy. I'm sick of these reports, but we have to probably talk about them. Um, And Fred and Marcus Rashford this week hitting back at claims of a rift. So it just seems like we're... Is it the same thing every show? (laughs) It just seems like there's there's something along the same theme, but just a new development each each time we record, Rob. But um, let's start with Ronaldo, shall we? So... Uh, Ronaldo scored against Brighton um, in midweek. Lovely little goal. Um, but obviously, I think United are fourth at the moment. Whether they actually come fourth at the end of the season remains to be seen. If United don't end up finishing in the Champions League positions, you could see a number of players going. Will Ronaldo want to, at 37, stay at United to play in the Europa League or the Europa Conference League, God forbid? Or nothing at all, depending on where United finish. Um, he's been linked this week with uh, a move to PSG in the summer. Uh, a guy from... A guy? Uh, <laughs> someone I know from 90 Min, Graham Bailey, has put out a story about PSG's interest in signing Ronaldo. And I think the Mirror have done a bit on it as well in the last couple of days. Um, the crux of the story really is that Kylian Mbappe obviously scored against Real Madrid in midweek, but is out of contract in the summer. And... It's tipped to join Real Madrid. I think we're all kind of expecting that, even though PSG are hopeful of keeping him. But uh, ahead of the World Cup, 
and PSG being PSG, they're dreaming of a dream team of Messi, Neymar, Ronaldo, and Zidane on the bench. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> it's a weird one, but it's very PSG. I don't know how they'll make that work. But, uh, Rob, what do you make of Ronaldo's future, his expectations, and these reports? Well, Cristiano's just signed a new boot deal, so he's obviously willing to stay on a football pitch for someone. So I don't think it's going to be any kind of early retirement and fanfare at Old Trafford come the end of this season. So he will be somewhere. I, I think the likelihood is it will still be Manchester United, but these PSG kind of rumours and talks are not new. It's kind of something that's kind of gone back quite a few weeks now about PSG's interest. Of course, as you mentioned there, it's a World Cup year. Um, there's all this kind of side of the S-word sports washing when it comes to ownerships from the Middle East and about their, their acquisitions of top players. There is no doubt that Messi, Neymar, Ronaldo, and you just said Zidane there, probably four of the biggest names in world football, if not the four biggest. So uh, I think with Cristiano, he's still ambitious. He still wants to win things. I think that will dictate a lot as far as his kind of tenure at United goes. Um Great goal the other night, but still issues, I still think, between midfield and the attack. Uh, you know, how far can you go on individualism to win your games? Because that's really what that was with Cristiano, kind of run towards the box and burying it. And how much are you going to get hurt and lose points because you just can't string passes together? So I, I think with Cristiano, it's, it is a wait and see. It's a developing story. And we will no doubt talk about it more, I think, as in the second half of this season. But being honest, if he goes, I don't think I'm going to be doing a show here with you, Scott, saying, oh, it's awful and terrible and that's the end of Manchester United. You know, I, I like Cristiano. I know he's a legend. I know he's an icon. I know plenty of people that are watching our show here now. You know, they watch Manchester United content for Cristiano. That's what it's about. But there's got to be an honesty about it as well. And I think that he's part of the wider problems at Manchester United when it comes to the ball moving around on a football pitch. I was just going to come to that, actually. You've you've addressed it there. Uh, do you think for United to actually take steps forward that it's for the best that he does leave? I think that if he fulfills his contract to the end of next season, then... The narrative we've been talking about for the last six months will carry on for an 18-month period because it's the same problems, it's the same players, isn't it? So, you know, some United fans will say, well, if you go out and buy the correct midfielders or the correct players that will feed him or add creativity, Cristiano will score. Well, I've always said this. You could have literally a dustbin in the middle of your park and Cristiano's still going to score your goals. That's not the problem. It means that will you win football matches while Cristiano scores those goals? So again, it's the Juventus issue. People at Juventus say the same things to me over and over again. Cristiano will get you 30, 40 goals a season with his eyes closed, but you won't win in the manner that you want to because you can't do the work. And I think we see that with Manchester United. You know, we'll talk a little bit about the Brighton game, but I think that was United's worst match for quite a few weeks and certainly one of the worst on the Ranić. Why do I think that? Because all of the work rate that we have seen in the previous games, which was fractured, but but kind of there, disappeared. Because the players went, well, we can't run for 90 minutes, so we just won't run at all. So United had a terrible first half, and then the second half just recovered it by those in, you know points of individualism for the two goals. And obviously the second goal came very, very late in the day, and was just more cherry on the top. But United kind of got away with one, because I think Brighton themselves, if they, if they hadn't imploded shortly after the half, then this could have been a very, very different story. 
has been the story of the season for United, uh, just about doing enough when they do manage to win, but not really playing that well. I mean, we've been talking about it since the early weeks of the season under Oli. Um, you know, I, I do agree with you, Rob. I think for United to transition their playing style and to actually press from the front, although in the lead up to Ronaldo's goal, I think it was Fred who did win the ball back to get the ball to Ronaldo. So, you know, um, but obviously they can't do that from the very top with Ronaldo there because he's, he is showing his age as much as like people don't really want to admit it. You can see when he's, there's been occasions over the last few weeks where, you know, hands on your knees, kind of bending over, like gasping for breath, that kind of stuff. I've seen that a few times from him, but there's no doubt he, he gets goals. He's done it in in United's Champions League campaign. That's coming back next week. Mm. Um, <laughs> Luke, he, gets, uh, he gets goals, but I think the, the kind of got to look at the salient points. Are Manchester United a better football team after signing Cristiano Ronaldo? The answer, 100% is no. They are not better than they were at the end of last season when they got to a European final and came second in the Premier League and actually looked like a team that had built behind the scenes a camaraderie. And, you know, this is why I say I don't blame Ronaldo. I really, really don't. I don't want to put all the blame on his shoulders. I think everyone has to shoulder the blame. But you lost the manager that had been there for three years and had slowly built something, even through, you know, alternative means for some Man United fans, not seeing the tactics that they want, not seeing the free-flowing football. But you've gone from second in the league to on the edge of not even being in the Champions League and nowhere near kind of winning a trophy now. From last year, you were in a final. So this is kind of how I look at it in, in more black and white terms because Cristiano is 37 years old now. You know, you're not going to reboot him. He's not going to suddenly start doing different things. So it might mean that you, as a football club, have to start doing different things. You mentioned um, camaraderie there, Rob. Uh, nice little transition into segment. the next. <laughs> what, what a great segment to jump into. So, honestly, I, I'm doing a side on my microphone because I'm so sick of this stuff. But reports in the last 24 hours or so of a rivalry developing over the captaincy between Ronaldo and Harry Maguire. Um, and maybe we'll throw in... Uh, the Fred and Rashford stuff here too, because Marcus Rashford earlier this week came out and put, you know, quote tweeted from, I think it was Christian Falk who essentially said that there is a rift developing in this team. Uh, and Rashford came out and said, are we just making stuff up now or something along those lines? And Fred has done an interview with Sky Sports ahead of the game with Leeds to essentially deny those rumors too. So, I'm sick of this. I, I, I'm get, I'm, we're going to have a section in this show every time. I'm sick of this because it just seems like I'm repeating myself every show at the moment. What do you? It's ridiculous, right? It's a regurgitation of made-up news. That's what I'm going to. I'm going to use the word "made-up news" rather than "fake news" because I think fake news kind of again culturally leads the, the the conversation somewhere else. You know, it means kind of something else in the modern day. It kind of is on that tip. So it's very easy to say that there's huge divisions within the Manchester United dressing room. I'm telling you this, they're not going to be happy losing games. They've lost their manager that they trusted as well with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They're not going to be bright and breezy skipping around Carrington. That's not happening. But I think it's also false to say that there's these huge rifts. So like you said, you know, it's part of our show, it's topical of Manchester United. We will talk about these things because in the public domain, it's in the public interest for Man United fans. But you know, is there a huge rift between the guys at the dressing room? Do they go to Carrington every day and there's needle and a, you know, they don't get on and there's arguments? 
no, there isn't. You know, and we also talked last week about leaks and about the system of how that works. It's always been like that in football. Every football club communicates itself, players and management, to the press. And those leaks do happen. But the leaks we're in at Man United are all very strange off the back of bad results things, isn't it? It's like when United play well, suddenly there's no leaks. And when Man United play badly, it's like leaks galore. I don't think it really works like that. I think that is, again, part of our modern world with social media where a lot of these facts are not really facts. And I think Marcus was good coming out and saying that because I think what Christian Falk said was about the rifts. And he said, yes, with a big tick. That's quite powerful for all of his followers it's a real kind of direct slice and cut at the Manchester United dressing room, isn't it? Saying, you guys, there's something wrong with you because we are obviously attributing that to results. So I'm glad that Marcus kind of said, well, you're kind of just making it up because I believe that too. I don't think that's the important part of this story. The most important part for me is what are you doing on a football pitch? That is more important to me. Why are your performances below par? I don't think it's because there's some big personality clash behind the scenes. Christian Falk did uh, a few months ago do his little cross not true around Ran- United's interest in Ranić too. And I'm not, I'm not, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to discredit people, but you know, it doesn't mean to say that everything that everybody says is always true. Um, you do think though, um, this was my follow-up question on Rashford. Should he have stayed quiet, or do you are you happy that he did address it? I think it's difficult because one of the things that that came out last week when people were discussing Marcus was does he write his own tweets? So he's mm. going to read that, yeah. He's going to he's basically being accused that his PR team are pumping out tons of stuff to the press to make him look good. Now PR teams do do that, but I don't think you can particularly just accuse Marcus Rashford of it, and I don't think because um the BBC go and write a piece about Marcus training harder than everyone else or all of that, that you can blame Marcus for that. So I'm glad that he kind of addressed it because it was a bit of a sideswipe. He didn't really say a lot, did he? He just kind of went, what? And I think that's probably the best way to kind of address it as a footballer because his head should not be in what Christian Folk's saying. His head should not be in what's going on on Twitter. His head should be going in in his game. So I'm glad he kind of just said a little bit about it, but didn't go too deeply in it because he could have put out a big statement, couldn't he? And then that would have been the news cycle for one or two days, just talking about Marcus being disaffected and he's written this big, long tweet. Don't tweet. I've always said footballers don't have a Twitter account, put it down and go and train. And this Man United team needs to train. Yeah. Um, you, we addressed the term fake news earlier. Fred has actually used fake news um, in his interview with Sky Sports. There's a lot yeah. of fake news and a lot of rumours surrounding it, but it's great. We work together and we all have the same goals and objectives um, and he went on to say it's not easy for the manager to keep everyone happy because everyone wants everyone wants to play and we have so many good players, but we understand each other. We have developed the harmony in the dressing room and I think that's the most important thing we have. We have maximum respect for each other. Yeah, I, I think as well, the little bits obviously we hear from the football club and from players is that there isn't disharmony. So it's not working on the football pitch. Ranić is trying to build something, but in a ridiculously small amount of time. But we're not hearing of huge ructions in the dressing room. And the fact that Manchester United are kind of moving players out. So I think we talked obviously about the Anthony Martial, players on the fringe, Donny van der Beek. That's been part of that. 
you know, so players who don't play are not happy. So you've either got to get rid of them or go and let them play somewhere else. So United are doing that. So that's the right thing to do. I don't think the core players at Man United who are actually still playing the minutes, that they're particularly dissatisfied either with the tactics. They'll be dissatisfied with the results and they'll know that their performances will be scrutinised. Yeah, let's uh, let's move on from the negativity in a sense, although I, I guess we kind of have to address some kind of negative prospect here. We're only talking about Paul Pogba, given he's out of contract in a few months' time. There's been reports uh, this week, which there's a lot of regurgitation happening here. Like We know that Paul Pogba's future is under question. He's out of contract in a few months' time. He can talk to clubs abroad now about a pre-contract agreement. He can talk to teams in the Premier League in May or maybe the start of June, I think, at the end of May, start of June, about potentially joining them too. Uh, but it's nothing really new, is it? He hasn't made a decision yet, um, I think has been the case all along. There's United want to keep him and he's just weighing up his options. But it just seems like every update that does come out, even if it's a little bit of a twist on a story or just saying something that everybody knows <laughs> and it's just pointing out the obvious, it develops into this massive thing, doesn't it? Yeah, but we have to solidify the bits that we do know. And we know this, Paul Pogba did make his decision. Paul Pogba said to the football club 18 months ago, we'll negotiate a contract, I would like to stay. You know, he's got a family, he's happy in Manchester. You know, he's not a party boy, he doesn't go out, he doesn't get caught out in the town. You know, he, 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 you know, he practices his religion, he stays at home, he trains. So, yes, he's the biggest social media star in the world, et cetera, et cetera. But Paul Pogba said straight to Ed Woodward, I will stay if you give him my contract. And Manchester United are the people who have put the brakes on this. So fans have to kind of get a hold of this because part, again, of the narrative around Pogba always is that he's disruptive and just wants a pile of cash and is not interested in football. I actually think it's kind of the opposite. He's the kind of guy that will push the needle for Man United in terms of football and demand that they sign better players because he wants to win. Paul Pogba doesn't want to end his career as the guy that didn't win the Premier League with Man United. Paul Pogba's a World Cup winner. He's won La Liga three times. He wants to win trophies. And sorry, I think yeah. that, you know, he's well, sorry, La Liga. Yeah, I'm sure he'll win <laughs> La Liga if he went to Real Madrid. But the point is, that you're right. In, in Italy, he was a success. And people will say well, it was because of the way Juventus were built. But I think there's been a lot of hollow promises to Paul Pogba. And it's up to Man United now to decide whether they want this player. Because if they want this player, go and pay him, sign the deal, give the team a boost, give the fans a boost, and get it done and dusted. The problem is, is that Man United do not want to commit to a high wage in COVID times as it stands. And they're going to spin this. They're going to spin it in the dryer until it's absolutely run through. And this is the problem with Paul Pogba, because you, you can't deny it. He's the biggest news story in the world always so may not need to fix this or they need to just let the player go so Paul Pogba's not playing like someone who doesn't want to play for Man United is he let's be honest people say he's in the shop window that's what he's doing it for I don't believe that either he wants this this season to be a success and he wants people to point at him and say you were the reason why it's a success there's a lot of Man United players at the moment who don't deserve new contracts who don't deserve to be at the football club Paul Popper's not one of them. Absolutely. I mean, we did talk about, and we'll speak about Brighton in a little bit as well, but Pogba's quality is so obvious. I mean, he's, he's been out for a few months, but you, you pop him back in that team. It's, 
it's so noticeable, isn't it? He's how, a million how much miles ahead of everyone. He He's like a yeah. million. You watch it, even like being in the stadium and watching Paul Pogba play. And I've been thankful to see his performances, both the bad ones going back over time, you know, kind of post Mourinho and the ones that we're seeing in, in the more kind of recent, say, year or two. Paul Pogba is on a different stratosphere to 90% of the Man United squad. He came on against Brighton. He puts the ball on the deck and starts playing 40-yard passes accurately to feet. And you think, these guys can't do this. He's the only one that can. So you're highly reliant on Paul Pogba having a good day at the office, aren't you? Because if he has a bad day, then the world collapses. It's Pogba's fault. He's been lazy. He's not done this. He didn't run. This metric didn't work. This metric didn't work. And that's the story. But the, again, the truth is, is that Paul Pogba, in terms of talent, is so far ahead of what Man United have got that you've got to almost pay him now. You've got to say, have the contract. If you want to stay at Man United, we will facilitate that and make sure that you're a leader in this team for next season and beyond. I guess what these reports did do is just put it on the agenda that, you know, if it wasn't already that he could actually end up joining a rival Premier League club, the Man City at Chelsea. What do you mean? Yeah, and, and I said, that's that's smart business. If I'm Paul mm. Pogba's agent, that's exactly what I'm telling Man United. I'm saying to them, well, if you're not going to stump the money up and you don't think my client is worth the cash, even though he's better than every player you've got, then we'll go to somewhere else. We'll talk to Man City. We'll talk to Chelsea. I do remember Wayne Rooney doing that. I do remember Rio Ferdinand doing that. I do remember other Man United legends through the years. I remember Roy Keane having a massive issue with his contracts at Man United and saying, well, I will leave you then, and then having to sign a new deal because of that threat. So again, United fans need to understand that this is not new. It happens all the time with agents. And, and I think, that, you know, if you're Man City and you wanted Paul Pogba and Paul Pogba's not wanted by his football club anymore at Man United... Should he go and talk to Pep? Yes. Probably the best team in the world. So United fans don't like that, but this is a business. And Pogba's got totally the right to talk to any football club, whether that be in England or abroad. Would be quite interesting for the Twitter narrative, wouldn't it? Who've, uh, you know, rival fans of rival clubs who've spent years saying Pogba's not any good and this kind of stuff, if he did end up turning up, turning up at one of those clubs. But um, Paul Pogba yeah. can play for Liverpool or, or City. I've got no doubt about that. He's good enough. Yeah, he, he can play in those midfields when you look at what they've already already got. And you talk about the, the squad game. So if Man United lost Paul Pogba, how do you replace him? I think that's a bigger question. You know, would it be a shock to see him go to an English club? Well, no. I think Newcastle are also on the radar. Why? Because they can pay the wages. So there is part of that. And if Newcastle were going to do this over a year or two period and want to win the Premier League, I've said this, I've gone on record, so I think Newcastle will win the Premier League within two or three years. I do believe that. Two or that. three think, years? Yeah, I do. Because I, I said when Man City, you know, had the windfall, I said five years. Yeah, that was what I said at the time. And they did it in four yeah, and most people are saying, well, Newcastle have got to do X, Y, and Z. They've got to go and buy a load of players. That's what they've got to do. And if you get a top manager, sorry, Eddie Howe, but you know, if you get someone else in a year or two, I think that this project can kind of go on leaps and bounds very quickly. And and then it's, you get create the perfect storm, don't you? If you, you sign good players and you start winning football matches, you can suddenly be in that top four in a blink of an eye. You know, we could be doing this show next year, Scott, and talking about how Newcastle are bombing on and Man United are going the other way. So I... I look at Newcastle as a massive threat to the Premier League title. And if they got a Pogba and then went out and bought real top-class players, you know, from the real top echelons of European football in South America, they could go on and win the title. I, I think two to three years, they will be a viable championship contender. 
Oh, well, United better get a move on, hadn't they? Uh, they have. <laughs> this is, life changes quickly, you see. Like, City winning that title in four years, no one, the, that first day of Sheikh Mansour's uh, tenure at Man City, not one person said that they could win a Premier League title. And I had a big discussion about it at the time. And I was like, no, they've got money that you cannot dream of. Now, Newcastle are the next level up, aren't they? Richest club in the world, £500 billion at their disposal to build a football club. They can do it. They've just got to survive this season and then get into next year and go into the transfer market and be highly aggressive. Absolutely. Uh, let's let's transition into some actual football chat. So let's talk about uh, a little look back at the Brighton game and then look ahead to the Leeds game as well. So you mentioned earlier in the show, Rob, that you didn't feel that United really played well and they played better over the last few weeks. Is that you kind of married to that or did you kind of see it as a reversal and if they've acknowledged in the fact that they can't actually do this for 90 minutes and instead they flipped it round a bit and tried to conserve energy in the first half not play that well and then up the tempo in the second half well, I don't know any football team that says well let's not play well in the first half so we can do it in the second is that a thing I don't know like again I, I look at the performance and that's exactly what it dictates what you're saying there is that the first half was so bad that you needed a reaction in the second. And we kind of got it because we got the result, but we didn't get the performance. We didn't get the work rate. So I think in previous games where United fans have all watched and said, first half was pretty good, second half awful, and then you draw the game. This game was first half really bad, probably the worst half of football I've seen under Ranić. Second half, you win the game. So people are not particularly upset. And you've also got a lovely Ronaldo goal to celebrate, you know, social media moment, bang, 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 back of the net, Cristiano, Sue, and everyone's happy. And it's like, and that is kind of as superficial as it gets from football, isn't it? So I do think that, that it was a step backwards in terms of performance. It's not what I want to see. I don't want to see these guys working less so they can work smarter. I want to see them working harder and smarter. So they need to do the two things. And I think that there is a an element of this is that they've been trying to do the, the Gagan press and try to counter-pressing and running out of steam, but they've got to manage themselves better. Just you've got to know when and not to do it. You don't just not do anything for the first half so you can maybe go and win a game in the second half. Um, I just think the tactics are a bit skewed, Scott. You know, I, I think that Ranić wants to do one thing, but this Man United team is so dysfunctional, it can only really do its own thing, but that thing is not good entertaining winning football. It just seems to be scraping over the line at times. What's most important to you at the moment as a fan? Is it the results that come in, given with United 25 games into the Premier League season and their top four places in jeopardy? Or do you want to see strides forward in terms of performance and not necessarily the results that come with it? It's the time of the season where it's just about winning. Win, 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 win. I don't care how bad the performance is. We need to, this is a business of winning. This is what professional sport is about. You're there to win. These guys are paid to win. But, and this is kind of the other flip side of the coin, is that it's very hard to celebrate victories afterwards when the performances have got massive holes in them. So you can have a game where you don't We are play used so to well. that over the last decade. Of course. <laughs> like you, you, can, you can have a game where you, know, you didn't play particularly well, but you won it, and that's a good habit to foister and to promote, Yeah, to say to yourself, well, we didn't play well, but we can go and fix it on training ground. We've got three points. What we've been seeing with Man United is the performances have been getting better incrementally, but such small, tiny baby steps that the gap there to, to not defeat, but obviously to failure, maybe not winning a football match, is still too wide. 
So I, I'm I'm not one of these people that kind of go, oh, Man United must be the most entertaining team in the world. I'm I'm a realist at the end of the day. What they can do is they've got the talent to go and win games and to put together performances, Scott, that beat teams like Brighton. You know, so this is the whole point of it is that you look at the teams that they've drawn games with recently. Burnley are bottom of the table and they couldn't work it out. That's not good enough. This Man United team, I will say this, the the teams in the bottom bottom 16 of the division, because you've got the top four, you've got to be beating those teams in the bottom 16. That's how it is. That's the reality of being at a club like Man United. Looking at the table now, and as much as we're kind of down on performances and results and that kind of thing. We're (laughs) fourth. Fourth in the league, and United have won three of their last five in the league. Um, this is what I mean. The whole Ranyet project process. is, yeah. yeah, the Ranyet project's not like at like some loggerheads here. Like we're not happy about lots of things, but I think he's still only lost like one or two games mm. in the period that he's been with us. So I, that's why I don't look at Ranyet, and we're not doing content and podcasts about why Ranyet isn't getting X, Y, Z right because. I don't think there's anything wrong with the tactics here. It's about application from his players. And and then you have to question, right, is it because the players don't want to do it or they can't do it or a little bit of both? Well, sometimes is it neither? It's just that they've got a funk on. You know, is it just a problem within their own kind of identity? And I think that all of those things are really valid with this Manchester United side. Absolutely. Uh, you know, United... It was a it was an important win in the end. I think United are coming up on a big run of games now. I think they've got uh, Leeds away, Atletico Madrid in the Champions League, and then Watford before the hard run. Mm. You know, really, really starts with uh, games away at City and Liverpool, and I think Tottenham are in there as well. Uh, you know, it'll be a, it'll be a challenging period ahead of uh, in the next few months or from March really. Um, but what do you obviously United visit Leeds on Sunday? Leeds have conceded the second highest amount of goals in the Premier League. I'm looking at the the goals conceded column now. It does seem that way. Uh, not in great form themselves, um, but it is Leeds away. And it's the first time Leeds at Ellen Road will have fans when United are in town for years. So yes. it's be a tough totally. one. It's the War of the Roses derby. You know, this is it. You know, Yorkshire, Lancashire. It's one of the biggest rivalries in this country. Uh, and the form book goes out the window. It's just whether that message of it being a derby translates to the Man United players, <laughs> whether they feel that, because I'm telling you this, the Leeds players will feel it. Their crowd will make sure they feel it. Dan James will feel it. So I, I kind of look at Bielsa's style, and I think that you know part of their issues this season have been their injuries. Obviously, they lost Bamford, a huge part of their team, and that's definitely affected their results and their, their effectiveness to play a high-pressing style. But they've just started to get it back, Scott, and that worries me. You know, there's parts of their game now that I watch, and they look like Leeds United from 12 months ago now, whereas I think at the start of the season, they look like a relegation candidate. So they've moved away from that worrying form. And I think that Bielsa, again, Bielsa's a kind of stylistic coach that that fits Ranić. you know, two managers that love the counter-press, that like to play quick football, that like to get up the pitch as quick as possible. So you should see an exciting game. It's just that who is going to be the more controlled to, to take advantage of the big moments. Now, you hope that Man United, with the talent, can outweigh Leeds. But like you just said there, you know, being at Ellen Road, being in the moment with it being a derby, a few side narratives. I just mentioned Dan James. We'll talk a little bit more about him. All of these things kind of weigh heavy on Man United. And there's no easy games for Man United, like you just said there about these big games coming up. I'm more worried about Man United against the Leeds and the Watfords 
than I am against the Liverpools and the Cities. Because I think against Liverpool and City, they get it. They know that they have to be good upstairs and in their performances because they'll lose those matches. Whereas against you know the smaller teams, they don't always bring it, bring it consistently. Leeds is going to be a tough, tough game. Of course, Liverpool and City have pulverised Man United this season at Old Trafford. Um, but, you know, uh, Leeds in previous occasions against United in the last couple of years, when they visited Old Trafford, I think they've shipped 11 goals. But I think this game last season was nil-nil. Am I right? I think it was yeah. uh, uh, quite bland. Yeah, like we obviously hammered them on the first day of the season at Old Trafford. But that was feels like Manchester United passed. It doesn't feel like anything relevant today, does it? You know, it's kind of, I don't think that game will have any bearing on this result. But I do think that when you look at the motivations around the game, United are trying to consolidate. And that's a difficult thing to do at a place like Leeds. You know, you go there and you're trying to fit, work your own identity out and what you're doing. Because Leeds will look at that and they'll just attack you for it. You know, they'll just rip through you and rip the confidence out of you. So Man United in the last game, a lack of running against Brighton, but we saw some more running before that. If they have that kind of performance against from Brighton to Leeds, Leeds will expose Man United. Um, how will they do it, I guess, is the next question. I mean, we'll talk about let's talk about Dan James because United obviously sold him at the start of the season. Uh two Leeds who wanted him for a long, long time. Obviously, he was the famous story of him actually going to Leeds with the shirt and that kind of stuff. And then the transfer never actually completed. United end, end up swooping in a few months later and taking him. Um, but they did, you know, I made a pretty healthy profit on him at the start of the season. I think a lot of fans were quite happy to see him go because of the technical limitations that he had, perhaps. But I look at him now and I think perhaps he would have been a good fit for a Ranić team. Well, I think that's the irony here is that, you know, as much as fans don't didn't like Dan James and there were reasons for that, Dan James stylistically fits Bielsa and he fits Ranić. I think if he was at Man United now, and we've talked about some of the issues that United have had on the wing now going forward about, you know, starters and who does what, Dan James would be playing games for Man United or at least playing minutes. He would not be one of those guys on the peripheral on his way out of the football club like a Van der Beek. So that's, that's where the irony of this is that Man United decided to let him go because I think Ole found that there was no use in, in kind of developing him. And he obviously needed a new challenge and Leeds fitted his agenda. But he's playing good football. Like, you can't you can't doubt this. He's playing better at Leeds because they are a pressing side who play up the pitch. And Dan James is rapid. You know, if you've ever seen... I've watched the beginning in the flesh. He's one of the quickest players I've ever seen. Once he gets going, that motor in a straight line... I don't. I can't think of anyone else at Man United who maybe is as quick as him. I think you know Marcus Rashford on it on his on his day is pretty quick, um, but but Dan James is a speed machine. And what are Man United? They're slow, so that is a problem. <laughs> Transitions galore today because Dan James has been you know Patrick Bamford's been injured for a long time this season, uh, and Leeds have had to find answers. I think Dan James has occupied the central position and that might put him right up against an old mate Harry Maguire now we talked on the show in the last few weeks about Harry Maguire going up in individual battles and essentially losing every one against any opponent shape or size Veghorst could it be Dan James this time like if he's getting outpaced by somebody like Veghorst or Jay Rodriguez god help him with Dan James I mean but they should know each other's each other's game quite well is it a case of Maguire might have his number here or is Dan James going to be licking his lips at this? 
I think Dan James is going to be licking his lips. You know, Dan James absolutely 100% knows how slow Harry Maguire is. So, you know, this is the whole thing about, especially when mates play each other in a football match in the Premier League, you, you see this a lot because they know each other's weaknesses and their strengths. And they quite often bounce off each other because they, they kind of know what to try and exploit. Well, what's Dan James going to do? Dan James is going to stand off Harry Maguire, yeah, and he's going to want the ball either to feet or in the channel. And if it's in the channel behind Harry, he's going to murder him. And if it's to feet, he's going to dribble round him, round the outside, and murder him. So this is not a case of quality, of like, who's the better player? Because that doesn't really matter. What matters is who's fast and who's slow. And there's no doubt that Dan James will want to prove a point against his former club. You know, he still gets slated by Man United fans because that's the, the lay of the land. And I think that kind of him proving himself in the Premier League and have this opportunity in Leeds is a huge one for him because people are like, well, maybe he should go back to Swansea, drop down to the Championship. That's his level, et cetera, et cetera. I think Dan James is going to try and prove that England's number one centre-back, the one who got to the European final last year, he can skin him in a race. And if that's the case, if it comes to that, then I will be watching, I think, with my hands here on my face, looking through my fingers, because ultimately, football's a simple game. If you're slow and someone quick comes against you, you're probably going to lose that one. How do United win it then? Because, uh, you know, United have, in these games where they scored a lot of goals against Leeds, they've kind of just gone up against them and the technical technical ability and the quality is told in the end and they've ended up scoring goals and ripping leads apart in the one-on-ones but how do they win this one right. well, they need the way, to yeah the way they've won it at the start of the season and previous times is that you play more of a traditional low block counter-attack that's what you do so you let leads come on to you you let them overload and you get the ball off them in positions and you plug all the holes up so we talk about dan james there what would you have done before? Well, you'd have surrounded him with bodies. You'd have had bodies at the back of the pitch and made sure that those channels are not open. Now, Ranić wants to play a counter-press, a slightly different style. You want to win the ball in the half-court, you know, on a halfway line around that area. But if Leeds get past you, which is what we've seen teams do, Brighton did it the other night, if they get past McTominay, they get past Pogba, then they're on the back four and you're in, you've got trouble, haven't you? Because let's put it this way, if Rafael Varane isn't there, you've got Lindelof and Maguire who are both two forklift trucks. Yeah, so if they're going against any machine that has any kind of speed, you're in trouble. So how do United win it? Well, I I, I don't see Ranić playing a lower block or a mid block, which is kind of more traditional in the Premier League now. I don't see that. But I do think that they're going to have to have some form of eligible counter-attack. It's going to have to be that you get the ball off Leeds and you sting them. And that's where Leeds are weak. Leeds are weak in defence. If you get them one-on-one or in their box, you can score goals. And you've got to feed Cristiano, haven't you? You know, this is the whole thing is if you get Ronaldo chances in the box and the good chances, you can bet that he'll hit the target now and then. But it's, it's, it's a difficult match. This is why it's not straightforward because Man United, their game plan and playing the counter-press, it, does, it would fit for a good game, Scott, but you might like lose it 4-3. And losing mm-hmm. 4-3 is as bad as losing it 1-0. You mentioned getting it to Cristiano, but uh, Jaden Sancho, I think, is somebody again who could his skills really. He's he's been in good form of late. You know, it's yeah. not he's getting there. It's not in line with the team's form, but he has been United's best player for a good few games now. He is definitely showing signs that he's settling and acclimatizing. So this is what we've talked about for weeks with Jaden: is that coming from the Bundesliga, different style of football, coming to the Premier League, that he has to 
kind of find his own mojo and find his own way. And he's been trying to do that in a really bad team. So that's tough for him. But you're right. I think he's been our best player for quite a long time, hasn't he? You know, I think now in this kind of build up of these games where United had got the press right, where the counter pressing was there and maybe the results weren't, but the performances were pushing on. He was a big part of that. And I think the connection between Jaden and all the other forwards, so Cristiano included there, is the key to this. It's the key to scoring goals. Because there's a lot of reliance, isn't there, on Bruno Fernandes. But the current way the team is built, Bruno is having to do more work in midfield. It's just the way it is. So, you know, if you don't have Bruno on the edge of the box, you need someone like Jaden dribbling towards the defenders and then opening up those channels for Cristiano and also for Bruno making those third-man runs. Rob, before we wrap up, any final thoughts? Anything we haven't touched on today? Uh, we'll talk about Atletico Madrid probably after in the next show, but um, that's going to be a big one. Uh, but United have just got to get three points here, haven't they? They've got to get three points, and this is what this is all it's about now. And I think the players do understand this, and this is why, you know, in the press when we talk about performances and attitude and what we're seeing, that some of those things don't always marry together. But all that matters is winning. If you win everyone shuts up. That's just the truth. It's the way it goes. You you might get told you didn't play very well, but if you've got that ticket that says we won today, that's really all that matters. And, and Man United will be judged on that. They're fourth in the league at the moment, and it feels like they're like the 16th best team in the league. That's how it feels emotionally. But the table doesn't lie. The table tells you that you are fourth. And it means that if you keep winning, there's every chance that you'll end the season in a Champions League place. And it means the season isn't then a complete disaster. Ranić said it the other day, didn't he, Scott? He said it in the presser. He went, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got sacked because it looked like Champions League was going to be missed. And that's what my job is. So he kind of knows what he has to do. It's about getting that fourth place, unfortunately. You don't get a trophy for it but it does mean that you get that extra 50 million quid in your pocket or whatever it is in revenue. And that means you can go out and improve your squad. And that's going to be a big part of this for Man United, isn't it, now in the summer, is that they need to improve this squad and make the right signings. If Cristiano leaves, you need to buy a striker. You might still need to buy a striker, even if Cristiano stays. So there's lots of things that the next manager, whether that be Ranić or someone else, is going to have to do. And it's easier to do when you're in the Champions League. Yes, indeed. I think in terms of what the rivals are doing, uh, rivals for this fourth place, Arsenal have Brentford, but they I know that their games in hand are against Chelsea, Liverpool, Tottenham. Tottenham themselves go to Man City this weekend. So it's really important that United do win and take a stranglehold on this position. West Ham at Newcastle, yeah. you know. They're, they're all equally dysfunctional, though. This is the mm. point. So listen, once you go out of Man City and Liverpool, you know, Chelsea even themselves are a little bit dysfunctional. Do you know what I mean? They're supposed to be a team challenging. They've just been crowned champions of the world, of the known universe by FIFA. And and they're, they're not particularly good at the moment. So, you know, they're third. And, and I think they would settle for third this season to kind of consolidate and build themselves for next season. Um, but Man United, you know, the fourth place race is on because you watch Arsenal one week, they're electric and they're amazing. You see some great stuff from the young players. You go, mm, we'd like a bit of that. And you watch them the following week and they're just a mess. So, you know, Spurs are kind of very Spursy at the moment. 1% you know, Conte... chance of getting top four, according to Antonio Conte. Well, well and Antonio Conte, you can see how happy he is in North London, can't you? He sat there like, what am I doing here? So he might not even be at that football club coming into the end of the season. And I think with West Ham, they're just a bit hit or miss again. You know, I think David Moyes done a really good job there. But they're only one or two injuries away from being a team that finishes 10th. I really believe that. So, you know, they're the good side. Quality side, they've done well this season. They did well last season. 
But Man United could take advantage. They just find a little bit of consistency. You don't have to win big every game. Win 1-0, go home, go to training and come back for the next match. If you do that, you'll be in the top four and the world won't seem such a bad place. I do wonder if we've ticked off Harry, who's listening in the background um, here, the Arsenal fan. But, uh, you know, with, with some Arsenal comments there, but we'll see. I'll, I'll He'll agree with us, I'm bit. sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, just a reminder, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., etc. Uh, we're on twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays from now on. Uh, so head over to our brand new YouTube channel, The Promised Land of Manchester Podcast. Hit the like button, subscribe, join the community, um, put the notification button on. Uh, so you get notified whenever we do a show. The link should be in this, the description of this episode. United play Leeds on Sunday afternoon. Fingers crossed United can take a second consecutive win. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? I think, I think they drew their, their two games before <laughs> that. Uh, but yeah, um, have a great weekend, everyone. Hopefully United come back and, and win again and start going on a nice winning run of form ahead of some really tough fixtures in the next few weeks. But thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll speak to you soon.